Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Um, all right, should we get started? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Hello, Howard Weiss-Tisman. Hey, Angela Evansy. Can you tell me where this story starts? Well, uh, this story starts in Richmond at Stone Corral Brewery. Hi there. Howard. How you doing? Good, I'm Ryan. You're Ryan? Good to meet you. Uh, It's about two hours north from where I live, and I left early in the morning because I wanted to catch them um, on a busy day. They had a full brewing schedule that day, and so I drove up to Richmond um, to watch them make beer. uh... How many beers on tap do you have here? Oh, right now I think we have... 13 beers on tap. I'm adding a new one today. We make in-house root beer, in-house craft seltzer in our own. Who were you talking with there? So I met uh, Ryan McKeon, and he's the head brewer there. He's been brewing in Vermont and um, all around for quite a while. He started in his apartment in Burlington, he told me. So I got there early in the morning, and he was just uh, starting on a batch of uh, their Imperial Stout, which is a very hefty beer, very dark and very sweet. And, you know, he was dealing with the wastewater issue uh, as soon as I got there. He was cleaning up some of the overflow from um, the beer he had made the previous day. Uh, A little behind today, so you didn't miss anything yet. (laughs) has to do with wastewater, though. (laughs) Imagine that. Well, it sounds a little coincidental that he was dealing with something wastewater related when you first showed up. It is coincidental because that's one of the reasons why I was up there. Um, I do like beer and (laughs) I wanted to learn a little bit more about the wastewater that comes out of the other end of the process, so to speak. So to avoid that, I hooked it up to my kettle overnight. So if it does blow off, we got it all. Then I pump it to my side stream that then goes... And so the reason why I'm interested in wastewater at breweries is because of today's question asker. Yeah, Caleb, right? Caleb. So thanks a lot for coming in, Caleb. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Caleb Henderson, um, he went to our studio in Colchester. I was down in Brattleboro, and our intern May helped set that up. And we talked about why Caleb was curious about this. And where do you live? I live in Winooski. Winooski. Um, so we're all very excited about the question you asked. There are a lot of beer fans at Vermont Public. So Caleb works at Mount Mansfield Maple Products in Winooski. So I just kind of grab some maple off the shelf and send it on its way to people across the country. And hopefully they get to enjoy it. That is a very Vermonty job. 
It is a very Vermonty job. You know, it's all about uh, sweet liquid, which is kind of <laughs> what we're going to be talking a lot about today. Ooh, nice connection. I'm actually not much of a beer drinker. I'm more of a cider person. Um, but I really got started very heavily with like wastewater and like water conservation and quality uh, when I was taking classes with UVM. Uh, they had a water and natural resource course that, you know, I... So Caleb became interested in wastewater when he was taking a class at UVM. And he wrote a paper about it, too, when he was at Southern New Hampshire University. I had titled it Environmentalism Brews Optimism. <laughs> I was just trying to do, like, a play on words where I had really got interested in a uh, Seven Days article uh, by Katie Jickling. Um, about wastewater woes in Burlington, and I just found that really fascinating. Uh, that had been published in 2018. And so what Caleb is talking about there is back in 2018, uh, wastewater was in the news. 1.8 million gallons of partially treated wastewater discharged into Lake Champlain since Friday. People in the area are fed up with the spills and don't want to hear excuses from the city. There was an overflow um, at Burlington. It was during the summer, and it came after some heavy rains. And there were actually a bunch of things that went on. Some equipment broke down. But uh, the Burlington Wastewater Department actually ended up releasing a whole bunch of nasty overflow right into Lake Champlain. And the head of the wastewater department said that one of the reasons it happened is because of all of this wastewater that was flowing out of the breweries in town. There's also a growing concern about beer's environmental impact. Public Works blamed that failure on intense rain falling at the same time as large discharges from food and drink producers. Right, so Caleb heard these stories in 2018, and he was kind of wondering, you know, how's it going? How are the breweries doing? How are the wastewater plants doing? And uh, what's happening to all of this wastewater? There was, like, a projection for it to be a two-year plan. We know how 2020 went. <laughs> So I don't think people were really concerned about the wastewater, but I really just wanted an update. I wanted to see what was going on. From Vermont Public, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been asked and voted on by you, our audience, because we want our journalism to be more inclusive, more transparent, and more fun. Today, my name is Caleb Henderson, and I live in Winooski. A question about the liquid coming out of Vermont's breweries that you do not want to drink. Breweries and cideries were in the news a few years ago for their wastewater. How are they mitigating their waste now? Has it improved? Reporter Howard Weiss-Tisman dives deep into the world of water regulation and treatment. Most of wastewater is keeping the bugs happy. And learns how Vermont breweries are managing their so-called effluent. We pay for every gallon that gets picked up out of there. We have support from Vermont Public Sustaining Members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. 
from agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Howard, why is wastewater from breweries something that needs to be managed? Well, there are two reasons. And um, one reason is that Vermont has a lot of breweries. There's this organization called the Brewers Association. They gather data from across the country, and they say that Vermont is number one in the nation in breweries per capita. They're popping up in cities. They're popping up down dirt roads. As more and more breweries open, wastewater is becoming more of an issue. And the second reason why this is important is because the wastewater that comes out of breweries is very hard to deal with at the wastewater plants. So what is it about the waste from brewing that is impactful to wastewater systems? If we want 10 gallons of beer, it might take 15 gallons to make. Add another two or three gallons in there for cleaning. One of the reasons that I went up to Stone Corral was to watch them brew. And Ryan McKeon, the head brewer there, he was really generous with his time. And he took me through the whole process. And uh, there's a lot of water involved. When we're done with the brewing process, there's spent water. Uh, there's also spent trube in the kettle from adding hops and additives in the kettle as well. Um, when we're done, we skim off all the good stuff and create beer. We leave the bad stuff behind. Right. And so the reason why Ryan has to take care of this stuff is that this liquid is what they call high strength waste. Um, there is a term called biological oxygen demand you're going to hear. Um, that's BOD. And what that basically means is that this liquid has a lot of sugar in it. And it takes the wastewater plants um, a lot of work to take care of that waste. Now, this stuff also has something called total suspended solids, that's TSS, and that includes the hops and the yeast runoff and all of the kind of heavier, grainier stuff, which is also really tough for the wastewater plants to deal with. Um, lastly, they're worried about pH, um, a lot of cleaning products, a lot of the um, byproducts of the beer making changes the pH, and so if this wastewater runs directly into the wastewater plant, it really puts a strain on the whole system there. To find out a little more about that, I went to Burlington and I met uh, Megan Moyer. Are you Megan? Yes, I am. Hi, Megan. She's head of the water department in Burlington, and she walked me around the wastewater plant a little bit. And the only reason we're really concerned about uh, places like breweries or cideries or really any food processing um, facility is that the strength or the organic, the amount of organics that is in their wastewater effluent is higher than what would normally be coming from a person's house. So there's domestic waste. Now, wastewater plants are pretty much made to handle human waste. And as part of the process, they have these microbes that kind of munch on the waste in the water, and that makes it easier to process it. Most of wastewater is keeping the bugs happy. And so when breweries send in their effluent, 
That's the the high BOD stuff. It's basically sweet sugar water. It, it's from the runoff of the grains. And when the breweries send too much of their high-strength waste into the wastewater plant, it overwhelms the system. And these bugs, these microbes, they can't do their work. When we get slugs of high organic material, it's basically too much food. Like if you think the bacteria here are at a buffet and you've got to feed them just the right amount so that they can keep up with it and bring it into their bodies and settle down. If you give them way too much pizza, some pieces of pizza are going to continue to float out. The wastewater won't be able to be fully managed by the bacteria. Um, and then it can then cause problems further down the line. And the breweries that are in Burlington are not super large. They're brew pubs. Um, there's a couple of them that are a little larger and can. But because there are so many breweries in Burlington, the system has not been able to handle it. It's just because beer... The process of making beer has a ton of organic material in it. It's just by virtue of the, the, the medium of what, media in which they're working to produce amazing, tasty products that what's coming out the other end does have more organic. So, yeah, they're not doing anything wrong. We just need to work together to see what they could do differently to not send us quite as much uh, down the pipe. I spoke with Nick Gianetti. He works at the Department of Environmental Conservation, and he really helped me understand it. It's really just a symptom of the industry we have here in Vermont. The wastewater that comes out of the breweries, it's like 30 times stronger than the wastewater that comes out of, you know, people's houses or most other industries. The, the BOD of wastewater coming out of a household is 300 milligrams per liter. The, the wastewater coming out of some of these food and beverage manufacturers are 10,000 milligrams per liter or above, much higher strength than what wastewater would be coming out of a household or an office. And the wastewater treatment plants aren't designed to treat high strength waste. They're designed to treat domestic strength wastewater, residential wastewater. So. How are breweries regulated? So this is where it gets a little bit complicated. I, I talked to Nick um, a few times, and one thing that he kept saying to me is that every brewery is site-specific. The, the standard is site-specific. Site-specific limitations. Site-specific conditions. It's really site-specific. <laughs> and what he means there is that each brewery is different in how much overflow they produce and it also is contingent on the wastewater plant in town. So there are some wastewater plants, you know, that can maybe handle some of the overflow. And there are some wastewater plants that just can't. What's really interesting in Burlington, none of those breweries have state discharge permits because they are not large enough to quote unquote impact the wastewater plant in Burlington. You have a number of smaller breweries that individually aren't exceeding that our permit criteria. Um, therefore, we, we don't regulate them. And so it falls on the municipality to you know regulate those discharges such that they ensure the proper operation of their wastewater treatment plant. You know, in some of the larger breweries with some of the names we've heard about, Von Trapp and Alchemist and Lawson's, 
they built their own pretreatment systems right there on their property. Pretreatment is anything that a brewery does to treat the water before it's released to the wastewater treatment plant. So like the Alchemist and Stowe, for example, they're producing single digits in in terms of concentration of, of BOD and wastewater. Um, so they're producing lower than domestic strength wastewater with their pretreatment system. And Vermont is way ahead of the rest, of, a lot of the rest of the country in how breweries are treating this water. And um, it's also really interesting, a lot of these engineering firms that help these breweries develop these pretreatment systems, they're really pushing the technology and, um, you know, the advancements that they've made here in Vermont. So, Howard, we started this episode at Stone Corral in Richmond. It doesn't seem like they have a giant, fancy pretreatment system. So what do they do with their waste? Yeah, that's right. You know, a lot of the the mid-size breweries, they do um, a thing that's called side streaming. And it's pretty much, you know, what it sounds, trying to gather all of this waste, all of this liquid, and putting it off to the side. Instead of sending it down the drain, they um, gather it up in tanks and they make sure that it doesn't end up in the wastewater treatment plant. Exactly. Uh, a lot of other places will use big buckets and things like that, but if those overflow, it doesn't solve the problem. Uh, so these are the containers that we use to fill with anything post-fermentation, spent yeast, hops, uh, excess water from the brewing process, uh, anything along that nature with high solids goes right into here. So side streaming is what removes a lot of these really organic rich liquids from the wastewater stream. When breweries side stream, where does that stuff go? What, what do they do with it? Most of them will pay a, a waste operator to take it away and it might end up at a farm or at a compost facility and some of it has even gone to digesters, to places that make energy out of it. So just to be clear, do all breweries have to sidestream? The wastewater operator usually will include that as a condition for them to flow into the plant. They're not required by the state to do it, but but yes, every brewery right now in Vermont is trying to sidestream. So remember, Caleb heard that story back in 2018 when uh, the city of Burlington released a whole bunch of sewage into the lake. And uh, the wastewater operator said that a big reason why that happened is because of what was running out of brewery. So Caleb kind of was wondering, you know, how's it going? How are breweries doing? How are wastewater plants handling all of this? And as I've been doing this reporting over the past couple of weeks, I've learned that, you know, this is still in play. Um, nobody's putting up a mission accomplished banner. Um, there's still a lot of challenges and a lot of communities that are grappling with this. I believe that our, our Burlington breweries, because we've had conversations with them, because they're aware that we're looking at this, I believe that they also are probably starting to do things voluntarily. And so when I was in Burlington, you know, talking to Megan Moyer, she's the head of the water department there. She told me that the city's going to go to the legislature next year 
to try to get authority to start their own permitting program. And this is a really big deal. So right now the state handles all the permitting, but the city of Burlington wants to start its own. We believe that by creating our own local program versus letting the state maybe come in and regulate, that we're going to be able to come out with a better, more tailored process for us and our plant, as well as for those industries. Um, Because we value those industries being in Burlington. We just need to figure out what they may need to do a little differently. How do we make sure that we build um, a, a regulatory program that you know, treats them fairly, but then also retains some additional capacity for other businesses. Because the last thing we want to do is like... um, Say no more breweries. Exactly. I mean, that's never going to fly anywhere. And what's really interesting with this is that the way that the legislation will likely be written is that if Burlington does it, any municipality in the state that has its own wastewater treatment plant would also be able to start their own permitting program. And it's going to be really interesting to watch. You know, I'm wondering what business groups and breweries think about this. You've been referring to all of these breweries in Burlington. And I can think of a couple of the big ones off the top of my head. And cideries, right? We've got Citizen Cider, Switchback, Zero Gravity. Did you talk to any of them for this episode? Yeah, we tried to speak to them. I reached out to a bunch of um, businesses Switchback got back to me and said that they didn't want to comment on what was going on with the city. I sent a couple of emails out to Citizen Cider, even knocked on the door of their business offices there on Pine Street, and they weren't willing to talk about this either. But I finally did get in touch with someone at Zero Gravity. Yeah, yeah, I've got a moment. Sure. Excellent. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, you- um, they're on Pine Street, too, in Burlington. I spoke to Matt Wilson. He's one of the co-owners there. We're operating 100% inside of the contract that we have with the city. You know, from Matt's perspective, he's saying that zero gravity is doing everything they're supposed to do. You know, we're underneath our permitted capacity on that plant. We follow all of their rules around, you know, discharging anything. Um, We pay certain surcharges for, for anything that's high BOD, anything like that. Remember, what's happening in Burlington is that each one of these breweries don't really have specific pretreatment requirements, um, each one independently, but all of them together are putting a big strain on the Burlington plant. So, you know, a good, I don't know, comp to that might be, you know, a theater that, you know, it really only has the capacity to handle 250 attendees to a certain event, well, then you don't sell 350 tickets. You know, I, th- I think that that's not the people that went to the show's problem. They showed up, they had a ticket, right? They're holding up there into the bargain. It's really on the theater for selling too many tickets. And I think that that to me kind of is, is the point here is it's not the breweries collectively, zero gravity. Otherwise, we're just showing up to the show. We're doing our part of that you know, they think the city may have oversold their ability to handle that many that many breweries, right? And he was a little bit frustrated with how the breweries are being, um, you know, talked about in the media. Uh, he mentioned the story back in 2018 when the wastewater plant in Burlington released that sewage into Lake Champlain. And he said even back then, uh, folks got the story wrong. So, 
there's still, I don't know if I would call it bad blood, but there's still a lot of misunderstanding between the two sides. Um, there's still a lot of work to do on this. Hmm. And what did Matt think of the potential legislation that might come before lawmakers next year? I haven't heard about that. No, that, that's not something they've kept us in the loop about. Oh, that's interesting. Because that was, you know, that was one of the, I mean, there was a lot of parts of the story that were really interesting, but that really caught my eye. After the break, brewers in smaller communities react to how they're being regulated. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a long story. Uh, we fought this on a legal level back in 18 when they were trying to put this through. That's right after this on Brave Little State. It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Today, we're answering a question from Caleb Henderson about how Vermont breweries and cideries are managing their wastewater and why that matters. My colleague Howard Weiss-Tisman had the plum assignment of driving around to a lot of different breweries to answer this question. Well, Howard, before the break, we were talking about why it's so important to manage wastewater from breweries and cideries so it doesn't overwhelm municipal treatment plants with high-strength waste, high BOD. We left off in Burlington, which has a lot of breweries, as we all know, and it sounds like they're definitely trying to figure things out there still. I'm curious, what's happening in smaller communities? Well, um, this was a pretty fun episode to report, I got to say. I got (laughs) to drive around Vermont and visit breweries. it was it was late fall, so it was it was quite beautiful and fun to taste some beer and meet some of these folks. I went to Heinsberg, and I visited Garen Frost. Good morning, sir. Hi there. How are you? Good. Thanks for uh, hanging out. He started Frost Beer Works. Tell me the Frost history condensed version. Well, the condensed version is we started in, we started right here, a thousand square feet, little small little section. You know, Garen opened Frost Beer Works in 2015. And he started really small. He told me that when he started his brewery, he had no wastewater um, permits he had to worry about. He was sending all of his waste just right down the drain into the Heinsberg wastewater plant. It never posed a problem. Um, We were only at the time doing, I think, uh, around 3,500 barrels or something like that. You know, he even told me about some really funky mechanisms he put up when he started dealing with it. We would put a, uh, like a sock on when we'd come out of our our, uh, whirlpool. We'd put a sock to catch all the the hops that were coming off the bottom of it. So we were doing that. And of course, we were side streaming some of the things that were coming out of the cellar, you know, yeast and and, um, and beer. So Garen brews some pretty good beer at Frost Beer Works and his business grew and grew. And as, of course... um, production increase, so did the effluent. Um, And then in uh, 2017 or so, another brewery moved to town, and things got out of hand pretty quickly. And there, the combination of our two effluents was enough to basically tip the scale. And so Garen's problem was that, you know, he says no one told him that this was an issue. He was brewing beer and selling a lot of it, and his business was growing. And as he brewed more and more beer, no one told him that he needed to think about the wastewater. And, and so it is a little bit of a, uh, you know, for me, when they came in and were like, 
you know, wow, you got to stop everything. I was like, guys, we've been doing this stuff for, you know, at that point, we've been like four years, five years. And all of a sudden, everybody's up in arms like, why didn't we like have a progressive sort of approach to this instead of just immediately, it's like, the sky's falling, you know? And I had to jump through hoops to, to, you know, to stop the sky from falling. And we did it, but I could only act so quickly. You know, so it sounded like things got pretty sticky there in Heinsberg for a little while. I was able to reach some folks that work for the town. Um, I spoke to someone at the wastewater plant. Now, he wasn't around back then, but what he did tell me is that the work that is being done at Frost Beer Works and at the other brewery in town, it definitely made a difference. They've seen a big improvement at the plant since Garen made all these changes. However, it's still a cost that you have to, you, you have to uh, address every single day. Uh, he walked me around the brewery. He told me about his side streaming. You can see all of our hoses are all connected to, you know, to diaphragm pumps, sort of, uh, you know, to positive displacement pumps. Where everything we do is going. He carts it know, off to a farm nearby, and um, things seem pretty under control right now. But but Garen was still critical of, you know, the state system, the education. He wants people as more and more breweries open. Um, they need to think about this as they're starting their business. In my opinion, the town in this, or the towns in the state should learn from this experience at Frost Beer Works and kind of take that approach with other customers. Like, let's be proactive about these things. Let's not wait. I mean, I, I, I find it interesting. Heinsberg was, yeah, I think it's a good example of what you want. we're trying to prevent from occurring. So that's Nick Gianetti again from the Department of Environmental Conservation. And, you know, he says that this has really been an issue over the past few years. He admits that there were a couple of rocky instances, you know, a couple of years ago. But the DEC is really trying to make it a point to do more and more education. And if you open a brewery today, wastewater treatment is, you know, right at the top of the list of some of the things that you need to think about. We've just been doing training and outreach and that's been our focus as of recently, um, well, the past five years. This also gets into some interesting discussions about some of our most rural breweries. Some breweries are way out down dirt roads. Um, they have their own septic systems, and they have to deal with it just because their own septic system couldn't handle it. Um, so that's kind of a different conversation because the way that's regulated, that's actually a surface water permit as opposed to a wastewater permit, that's kind of a, a, whole, a whole different side stream. Now, I also spoke to a brewer in Morrisville. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a long story. Uh, we fought this on a legal level back in 18 when they were trying to put this through. The situation in Morrisville has been brewing for quite a few years now. They have a few breweries in town. There's Lost Nation Brewing up there and Rock Art. And so the Water Commission up there, they are starting a program actually in January to start charging these breweries a little more. We've got this, you know, mark on our back that we're always the problem. And I think that's that's through the years because uh, sewer plants have been negatively impacted by breweries. I spoke to Alan Van Anda. He's the guy who's part owner of Lost Nation Brewery. 
And um, he's not too happy about the way things have been going. He told me that they are side streaming. He told me that the waste that is running out of his brewery is not any stronger than what's coming out of, you know, a local Dunkin' Donuts or a supermarket or something like that. You know, my argument is, is to them, out of 100% of BOD that's going to the plant, we're only putting like three and a half, three percent of that. So where's the other 97% coming from? And are you going to be able to charge accordingly for that other 97%? And the answer is no, they're not. So my argument then is that it's not equitable. He doesn't feel like this new policy is being equitably enforced. Um, As it's written right now, there are only three companies in town who are going to be paying these new rates, the two breweries, and there's also a maple syrup packaging company up there. So these three companies are going to be paying higher rates to the Morrisville Water and Light, um, and Alan just doesn't like that. He thinks that there has to be a better way to measure it. I don't really even know who, but everyone contributes to BOD. You know, if you put sugar down the drain, you're contributing to BOD. If you're a restaurant, you're contributing to BOD. So, um, you know, anyone who's got a a soft serve creamy machine, if you ever washed one of those things out, you're contributing to BOD. And what's the stance of Morrisville Water and Light? Morrisville Water and Light say that they've done their homework. Um, One of the reasons that it's taken this long is because they have gone around testing and they stand by their data. They say that it is the breweries that are impacting these systems and they're going to start charging these breweries a little more. I guess in their defense, you got to start somewhere, right? It's to incentivize, financially incentivize us to put less down the drain. Now, when I spoke to uh, Nick Gianetti at the Department of Environmental Conservation, you know, these wastewater operators um, entirely are allowed to do this. They don't need to get any legislation done. And that's not uncommon. There are other municipalities around the state that implement a surcharge program. Um, Middlebury is one example. There, there are others as well. It's interesting. We opened this conversation acknowledging something I think a lot of Vermonters are really proud of, right? That we have the most breweries per capita. And our craft beer scene and craft cider is so treasured. And at the same time, hearing you talk about the way that these different communities are grappling with wastewater from breweries, it sounds like such a patchwork approach. How would you characterize sort of the state of things right now? You know, to go back to Caleb's question, I think it's fair to say that Vermont is in a lot better spot today than we were when these craft breweries were just opening. And there are a lot of states that are kind of behind Vermont, and they're just dealing with this. You know, you see these articles where it's like, wastewater, beer, it's a big issue. You better be thinking about Mm -hmm. it. So we're a little bit ahead of the curve. We're investing in good wastewater management and and also education, right? Because I think that that's part of it, too. It's going pretty well, but it's going to continue to be an issue because... These wastewater plants need to continue operating. Um, 
successfully because if a community doesn't have a wastewater plant that's working, that means that they can't bring in more housing, they can't bring in more development. And so Nick is really trying to stay ahead of all this. I think that's the whole idea, right, is we want to properly manage the wastewater plant so that we can encourage smart, environmental friendly growth, economic development and support our local businesses while protecting the environment. And the state of Vermont got a whole bunch of ARPA money. That's the American Rescue Plan Act. That was the the COVID relief money that is going into all sorts of things um, in Vermont. And they earmarked about $5 million to help wastewater plant operators and, and municipalities upgrade their system and make sure they can deal with this stuff in a more healthy and environmentally friendly way. And so, you know, this is a lot to think about housing and development and wastewater. And, you know, to wrap up this episode, I think I want to go back to Richmond, uh, to Stone Corral. So I sat down with uh, Brett Hamilton. He's the owner of Stone Corral. He owns it with his wife, Melissa. And he talked about what he wants to do as a good citizen, as a Vermonter, as someone who who wants to see Richmond succeed. For Stone Corral, it's about being a good neighbor, making sure that we're taking care of the of the resources around us. One of the I think one of the most important one though is that human beings, almost everything we do causes inordinate impact on our natural environment. Brett talked a lot about the impact all of us have, industries, individuals, all of us on the planet, on the animals, on the plants that are here. You know, he wants his brewery to have as little impact as possible. You know, I like to fish. I like to go out on the Winooski and, and you know, see what's running. Uh, if we weren't taking care of that water, a permitting aside... Um, if everybody were just pouring everything down the drain, the Winooski River would be uninhabitable to the wildlife that we so much enjoy. And so if it's costing him a little bit more money and it's taking a little bit more time to deal with this stuff, he says it's important to do because a healthy brewery is part of, you know, being on a healthy planet and we need to keep drinking beer. I mean, that's important, right? We need to. <laughs> so we need to. So if these breweries are going to keep making good beer and we're going to keep buying it and drinking it, we've got to strike a balance. Howard. Yes. Thank you for your reporting on this. It's been really fun to learn everything you've learned. It was great. Um being able to learn about beer, talk about beer, and drink beer has been pretty fun. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Caleb Henderson for the great question. Some disclosures are in order. 
A lot of the folks Howard talked to and mentioned in this episode either are or have been Vermont Public or BLS underwriters, including The Alchemist, Switchback, Citizen Cider, and the Agency of Natural Resources, which houses the Department of Environmental Conservation. And Lawson's Finest Liquids brews a beer named after our show that helps support our station. To see photos from Howard's reporting, check out our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can submit your own question about Vermont, sign up for the BLS newsletter, and check out our archive of over 120 episodes. Find us on Instagram and Reddit at BraveStateVT. Howard Weiss-Tisman reported this episode. I produced it with research and studio help from May Nagusky. Mix and sound design by Josh Crane, May Nagusky, and me, with additional help from our BLS teammate, Myra Flynn. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to the crew at the Richmond Wastewater Plant, the Vermont Brewers Association, and Louis Schmidt. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public. We have support from our station's sustaining members. If you like what you heard today, head to bravelittlestate.org donate, or just tell your friends to listen. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. Until then. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.